So Vision Sunday, what is it? It is simply reflecting back to you some of the things that we've talked about in visioning sessions, the things that we've prayed about, uh, what I've heard from you and in praying uh, to the Holy Spirit about what he wants to say in the life of this church, and then taking that and bringing it back to you, before you and before God, about what I feel he's saying about the life of this church. So no pressure. When I first came to this diocese uh, and I interviewed and I had a lovely conversation with Archdeacon Adrian, um, he was very insistent that I become au fait with the vision of the diocese. And in fact, I had. I'd done my homework. And what I was so delighted to see, it was like a kind of marriage. It was seeing that what the, articu- what the articulation of the vision was for the diocese was so close. It was so my heart for what I felt this church was being called to. And the vision of the diocese is simply this. In response to God's immense love for us, we seek to be God's people living and telling the story of Jesus. And there are three priorities that the diocese has placed for all churches Uh, under its care. The first is to place mission and evangelism at the heart of everything we do. The second is to align our resources towards mission. And the third is to identify, develop, and release the gifts of all people. And I truly believe in that. I think it's such a powerful witness to what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do in this place and actually across the diocese. And I really commend our leaders for embracing that. It's truly bold. As we worked through our questions in visioning, I labored and prayed and reflected over what those questions and your answers were saying. I was able to pull out five statements that were a direct reflection of what you felt were the priorities for this church. I prayed and took those to God and he, I felt him really affirming those things. And the first statement is this, we are a church called to reach out and gather in. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, as Jesus said in Mark 19.10. Now I gotta use my notes. I'm pretty good, but I'm not that good. Church growth can be an enticing prospect for any congregation. And in some instances, churches may begin to think about their own organization or systems or building as a starting point to growth. In the same way that Jesus started his own worshiping community, we're called to think about people first, and particularly relationships, as the starting point of growing church. We're instructed by the Bible and by the world around us about how creation suffers under the weight of broken relationships. 
It is right and good to renounce the brokenness in our own lives, but it's even more important to pursue the ultimate source of wholeness and unity, and that's Jesus Christ. As a church, we're called to actively pursue relationships with others. This kind of relationship has a distinctive quality. It places Christ at the center of everything. Whenever we interact with anyone, we have the opportunity to go deep with them. The Holy Spirit delights in opportunities to engage in relationship directly. And he works through real living people every day to make this happen. So what we've seen over the past year is that when we come into contact with others, we have this chance to get to know them, to understand their hopes, their dreams, their hurts and failures. This kind of relationship is deep relationship, and it's based on truth, and it seeks the truth. It seeks to listen and understand. It's humble. It positions others to see our own hearts as well, which are similarly filled with hopes, dreams, hurts, and failures, but which are encased in the love of Jesus Christ. And this kind of love is different from that of the world. It's a weapon of hope and joy in Christ that wages war against the powers of darkness that are active in the world. And it's seriously powerful love because it comes directly from Jesus. It is the power of the cross and the resurrection, life and healing, past and future, all wrapped up in one cosmic truth. Jesus is Lord. And if you'll recall, that was my first preach in this church. Deep relationships, therefore, are godly relationships. They cost us something. Because we are committing to walking with hurt people. From conviction all the way to restoration. They cost us something because we worship a God who builds all of his relationships on self-sacrifice. We acknowledge it's the truth that Jesus is Lord that undergirds how we are towards everyone. And so when we love others in this way, we also choose to lay down our own self-interest. Even in our relationships with those who don't believe in Jesus, we believe there's hope and joy in store for them. And this is made possible by the power of the Holy Spirit who continues to prompt and nudge as individuals what we bring as church is evidence of the fruit of the Holy Spirit at work in this place and in us. The power of our deep relationships is the Holy Spirit. God saves and he uses our human relationships to do that. There's a consequence it does also change us. When we see the power of the Spirit on show, healing, transforming, restoring, redeeming, and saving, we are changed. And when Jesus is in control as a source of truth, we open ourselves to a paradigm shift. To the certainty that people will come to faith. 
people will come to faith. People will be healed. Signs and wonders will become more commonplace. And people's lives will change, as will ours. Jesus is drawing people through our doors whom we maybe have never seen before. And he'd like us to see this process so that we will believe he can effect change in our own lives. But the barriers need to go. Any boundary that prevents people from freely entering our worshiping community. I can't think of any at the moment, but that needs to be put to one side. It might be our own preconceptions of church, or if you're like me, it might be fear of the unknown. The holiness of the Lord can't be contained. And so the Spirit moves freely, drawing people in. The second statement that came from your reflections is this, living in the fullness of God. We are called to be a church that lives in the fullness of God. What does that mean? Well, as a church, we're called to worship the living God in all His fullness, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're called to follow His living Word, continually revealed by Jesus. And we're called to worship with an invitational heart, seeking out those on the outside whom Jesus wishes to embrace. Another way to describe deep relationship is to talk about fullness because it's the fullness that we experience and that others experience when they're filled with the Spirit of Jesus Christ. But it's not a fullness of the world. It's not full wallets or full bellies necessarily. It's being full of the Holy Spirit who is God. In the face of the brokenness of the world, and the brokenness that sometimes emerges from us. God helps us establish deep relationships. But there's more than simply getting to know somebody on a deep level. There's a fundamental desire to seek restoration and redemption. When Jesus heals people, he doesn't just address their physical injury or disease. He addresses their complete redemption. Three-dimensional life. The healing of mind, body, and spirit against the effects of sin. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we believe that people can experience something, even if it's just a small part. They can experience something of the kingdom of heaven now. Not the whole thing, but a part. The work of the church is to allow us and others to be changed by Jesus Christ and to include others into the family of Jesus Christ. 
We know our fullness is the body of Christ, not simply by meeting on a Sunday, but by actively including all of those on the outside whom the Holy Spirit wishes to send. And he has been sending people. He has. We're called to be a teaching, preaching, praying, and worshiping church family. And to do so in a way that's accessible to outsiders. Mission is often thought of as the things we do for others. Maybe serving food to the hungry, housing the homeless, promoting social justice. In fact, just as there is no word for mission in the Greek New Testament, I see no distinction between mission and ministry. Everything we do, we do for everyone. Whether they are on the inside or the outside. This should pose a healthy challenge for all of us. It does for me as well. To create a culture where we can promote access to Jesus Christ to anyone and everyone regardless of where they come from. And whatever we do as church then deserves to be open to the public with due thought given to cultural barriers and how we overcome these. To be welcoming. The outsider who feels truly welcomed is the outsider we share a life group with or pray with or allow to speak in front of church. They are the outsider we will share a meal with. With this in mind, we can say with confidence that we're committed to transforming lives in Jesus' name. This is Graham. I met Graham about five, six years ago as he was coming out of a psychotic split from having been um, abusing drugs for quite a long time. Graham was beside himself that he was going to lose custody of his daughter as he experienced the psychotic split some five or six years ago. He was admitted into hospital where in a state of suffering and agony and depression and fear, he cried so much and rubbed his eyes so much that it became infected and they had to remove it. This is a man who was broken. Graham would come by the church most weeks, fortunate to find me there just clearing up from something we'd been doing, and here comes Graham. And I used to think, oh, goodness, what today? And Graham was very good at sharing what was on his heart. And not a a lot of it made a lot of sense. Graham asked to be baptized. And so we put him on the baptism course and we talked through things. And while Graham was very excited about a new life, we just felt he hadn't quite captured in his heart what Jesus was about. And so we said, look, let's do it. Let's prepare you, but let's do it next year, Graham. And in that year, Graham grew so much. And then one evening he came to life group in church and he didn't like the group that I put him in. Boy, was he upset. And he stood in the back of church and he cursed my name as loud as you can imagine. 
Um, and I had to send Graham home. And you can imagine as I turned around, the church was in completely quiet, <laughs> all these groups. And I said, um, please carry on. <laughs> Graham went off the deep end. He later was committed, uh, sectioned in Bradford, miles away, and we lost track of him. But you know, God restored him in that time. He got serious about staying on his medication. He got serious about coming to church when he was released. And within just a few weeks, he was baptized. And within six months, he was praying in church, using language to talk about Jesus Christ that we had never taught him. But there was deeply scriptural. When we are on this journey, I feel we're called to draw in people like Graham. Because Graham draws in people like us. God meant his family to look like that. The third statement is this, sharing God's love, sharing our life. As a church, we're called to be known for our faith and for our obedience to the Holy Spirit. We're also called to be generous and sacrificial with the people around us and to do that explicitly in the name of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit places a unique calling on every church and it may look different from church to church. In so many ways, this community is unique. We have people from every walk of life, from the successful young mother whose children go to St. Savior's School to the young mother who's homeless and battling heroin addiction. They are all represented in our parish. They are all our neighbor. And they all have a place in this family. Some of you have met them on these steps right outside on our hospitality mission. When we launched our Little Bags of Joy project, we met so many of these neighbors as well. Some are highly successful professionals. Some are single parents living on benefits. Some are children embroiled in custody battles. And some are elderly shut-ins. And so many of them seem to live in one state of fear or another. I know that because you've told me. You have met them. You have prayed with them. When we launched our Give Joy mission, we met more of these neighbors. And so many of the folks who've helped with that can tell you what immense need hides just beneath the surface of our neighbors. And our neighbors are in Lark Hall, but they're also in Snow Hill. Some are in Uphill Drive, others in Midsummer Buildings all in our parish. And I think we are called to be mindful of these neighbors, to become aware of the lives around us, the loneliness, the addiction, the violence and aggression and depression and anxiety that hides behind all doors, regardless of how ornate or simple they are. I believe we're called on a journey the way of the cross, 
to make sacrifices, to endure hardship. And if we're willing, then he will direct us to our neighbor, as so often Jesus does. The fourth statement, we are a church called to hold the door open. Hold the door open. Jesus says, I am the door. Whoever enters through me will be saved. I believe we're called to be a church with open doors. That's really in line with so much of what you said. Doors open to allow others to come in. Doors open to allow the body of Christ to go out in his name. Doors open to the Holy Spirit to give him unrestricted access to his people. And these doors reflect our own hearts, which we open to others and which we want to be transformed by Jesus Christ. And just as we accept that Jesus needs to transform the lives of those around us, we acknowledge that he needs to change our lives. Not once, not a few times. If you're like me, I need it on a daily basis. Having open doors in the physical sense is the most effective welcome in the world. <clears throat> More than any other strategy in the book, having open doors in a church says that we're not only willing for people to come in, we're willing to take whatever risks that entails. We're willing to get involved in the lives of others, to journey with people, to listen and hear their stories, their doubts, their fears, their pain. From my experience, people know exactly what they're getting themselves into when they walk through the doors of a church. It means they're looking for something, even if they don't quite know what it is yet. A stranger walking through a church door, whether they be a millionaire or a debtor, a hero or a villain, is deep down looking for something that they don't already have and can't find anywhere else. They're looking for salvation in Jesus Christ. They are nudged, cajoled, shifted, run off course by the Holy Spirit until they get here. They are longed for by the Father who longs for them like the father of the long lost prodigal son. And we should have something to offer them. More than advice, more than money or physical bread, I believe we need to be prepared to offer them the bread of life. We need to be prepared to say, hi, welcome, how are you? And then drop everything and listen for a long time when somebody finally tells us. We need to be prepared to share encouraging words, scripture, laughter, tears, and hugs. We need to be prepared to pray at the drop of a hat. And we need to be prepared at all times, as Archdeacon Adrian has reminded me, to tell the story of Jesus Christ. And as important, to tell it in our own words, through our own life story. I 
first met Trina, and some of you have met Trina on video. I worked with Trina. She was pastor of a cafe in the church that I worked in, known as the Living Room. Uh, and you said, well, what cafe needs a pastor? <laughs> this cafe needed a pastor, but let me, let me share with you her story. My story um, starts when I was a young teenager, dabbling with drugs, and progressed quite rapidly um, to my late teens. I started using heroin and, and drinking and, and found that that was my way of coping with life. Um, but ultimately, it just took me to a place of more pain and um, kind of difficult circumstances for me, my family and my children. I kind of did a couple of churches, trying to find somewhere that I fitted. And that's kind of my life experience, is always trying to find somewhere to fit, but never quite getting there. Um, and I think I met some, lo some lovely people when I came in. And even though I was quite uh, nervous and scared, I was like that anyway in life, I was scared of life. So, you know, coming into a church full of people that I thought uh, I was beneath, um, because of my life and had a fear of being judged and thought that people would think I was a bad person because of my history. What I found was the total opposite of that. I've come to accept my life as it was and don't I don't feel shame or guilt. Um, sometimes I can feel um, sad that that's what, how it was, um, because it is sad. Drug addiction is sad, you know, it's a horrible place to be. Um, but God picked me up out of that mess and kind of washed me off and used all my broken bits um, and kind of has gradually been healing me. Um, I have amazing friends in the church. I've had people that have held me up when I've been down, um, people that have believed in me when I haven't, and ultimately, you know, God loves me, and I never thought that I'd experience that, and I still have that um, constant hunger for more, more to know Jesus, more to experience his love, more to see what his, his plans are for me, because they're, they're the plans that I could never imagine, and you know, just as a woman of God to just experience what that's all about and to come to a place where I can see my identity, you know, in, in the Lord and it's not in all the mess that I've left behind. You know, what an amazing journey I've had. I love um, seeing the people coming in that are in that place that I was in that are scared and lonely and they don't know what life offers them. They don't know what they can offer life. Um, and seeing all the variety of people, you know, not just the homeless and the addicted and the broken, um, but the people, that, the old, older people <laughs> that are retired that come in and sit with those guys and show them love and encouragement. Um, the volunteers that we have, that are, some of them are still sleeping on the streets, the people that are seeking God yet they don't know it, um, just that 
they can find what I found that I can shine a bit of light and a bit of hope into their lives. And it happens every week. Miracles happen. You know, lives are being changed. That's what I love. People are seeing there's a hope and a future for them. And ultimately, we can't change their circumstances, but Jesus can, and he does. And that's, you know, what it's about. You know, not the coffee and the bacon, just loving people in, in their difficulties. I want to see it grow. I want it to see it ripple out into the community. I want to see revival, and I just want it to impact, impact the community in a way that people can see that we do it differently. Um, I want people to experience what I've experienced. The guys that come in washing dishes like I did, you know, I came from that place of washing dishes one day a week and I'm now employed as a living room pastor. In that cafe, there was more than just a cafe. We attracted all kinds of people. It was through that access point, that entry point, that we led over 50 people, probably 70 people, I can't remember, to baptism, to believe in Jesus Christ. 25 on one day, on a Sunday. And as Trina said, you know, she, was, she was so nervous there when she gave that. She just started as living room pastor. If you spoke to her today, she's got much more confidence. But when she spoke about the power of God in her own life, you could see that well of confidence spring up. The last statement, statement number five. We are called to be a church to journey the way of the cross. Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. We acknowledge that being disciples of Jesus Christ is costly that we are called to die to ourselves and that we are called to accept our new identity in Jesus Christ, which you've just heard Trina talk about. In so doing, we open our doors and arms wide to those whom God chooses to bring in as they move from brokenness to, to healing. In so doing, we acknowledge the brokenness in our own lives and agree to be healed in the family of Christ. The way of the cross is a difficult road. It is a glorious, magnificent road, but it sometimes is difficult. And from my experience, the journey has required that I let certain things go. Maybe my own expectations. Maybe my own aspirations, my own understanding of things. Sometimes it has cost me physical things. Journeying the way of the cross means journeying with Jesus. It is desiring to remain close to him at all times. And this has the double effect of requiring our complete trust in him. While also freeing us from the illusion that we are in control over our own lives. The way of the cross looks perilous to outsiders. But to those in the family of Christ... It looks like real and lasting freedom. For those journeying into faith, I say that there is an important thing to understand about following Jesus. 
It does not make our lives more comfortable. It does not ensure a life of ease, free of hardship or illness. And it certainly doesn't make us millionaires. And it'll never make me perfect. But journeying the way of the cross has a particular effect on followers of Jesus Christ. It changes their eyesight. They start to see less and less of the world as a bad place. They start to see the worth of more and more people. They begin to see a way through life's challenges where before they could see none. The shiny things of the world start to appear less shiny. And instead of focusing our eyes on the attainment of things, they start to see that they already have so much. And they begin to see all those others in great need. And they begin to see how the Father unites people where the world would divide them. And what they're beginning to see, of course, is the kingdom of God. And it's here in this place. Journeying the way of the cross changes people. It should come with a health warning. And I expect it will change me. And I expect it will change you. Jesus doesn't require our help to build his kingdom, but he, he longs for it. He desires it. He wants us to partner with him. Why? Because he loves us. And he desires our love. It is the greatest love the world has ever seen. And I am praying, and I have been praying, that in time the desire will grow in me and in all of us, the desire to grow and know the Father's love and for others to know that love, the love that changes people. It gently removes the calluses the world has put on us. It softens hard edges. And so together we emerge as changed people. Five statements are our calling to reach out and gather in, to live in the fullness of God, to share God's love and share our life, to hold the door open, and to journey the way of the cross. The scripture I asked Anna to read today is all about that. And it speaks so much of Paul's journey with his churches, where he desires for them to be and where he desires his own life to be, called to be transformed into God's image through his glory in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we are St. Savior's Church.
transforming lives in Jesus' name.